In the little epistle of Colossians chapter 2, there is a capsule of what this day is about. The gospel of the resurrection and the accomplishment of redemption. It's found in the second chapter and I'm reading at verse 9 and following. For in Him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead, in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Here's the text. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him, Jesus. The world watched CNN as a nation was resurrected from the dead. And the Kuwaitis poured out into the streets and celebrated their liberation. They laughed and they wept. They danced and they sang and they embraced. And they did some things that are foreign to our culture. They fired their weapons in the air. And the women made a sound, a staccato sound with their mouths I'd never heard before as they celebrated their liberation. And they did something that is familiar to our culture. They lifted their hands in the salute to victory like this. And as the cameras spanned along the streets, every Kuwaiti young person had his hands lifted up in the gesture of victory. This gesture, of course, was made famous by a man named Sir Winston Churchill, a bulldog of a man who was known for his long black cigar, his top hat, and his gesture of victory. And somehow as that old man was seen by his people holding up the symbols of victory, they gained strength in a time of, of war and suffering. And the last night he lived, they brought him out of 10 Downing Street, placed him in an ambulance to carry him away to the hospital where he would die. 
His old hand reached out from underneath the cover that covered him on the cot, and the symbol and the salute to victory was raised. In the midst of the war, when people were overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, Sir Winston Churchill addressed Parliament and said, When I think back over all the perils that have already been overcome, the mountain waves through which this ship has been driven, and when I remember all that has gone right, I'm encouraged to feel that the tempest shall never overcome us Let it rage, let it roar, we shall triumph. In a much less significance and importance, Coach Calhoun of the University of Connecticut sensed that same security and that same assurance of victory. You may have watched on television as his team played in the regional finals of the NCAA tournament for the right to go to the final four. And they came to the end of the game, and the other team was ahead by two points, and they called timeout. The scoreboard read, the time left one and five-tenths seconds. They had to get all the way down the end, all the way down the court, take a three-point shot and make it in less time than this. One, two. So they called timeout, and they, their players stood at the other end of the court with the basketball. The official blew his whistle, and he threw a full-court link pass to the corner where one of the UConn players leaped into the air, caught the ball, and at the same time released it. And as the ball was at its apex, the horn went off, and swish, they won the game. After the game, they interviewed Coach Calhoun. I've seen that interview two or three times in the last few weeks, along with that shot of miracles. And this is what he said. He said, you'll never believe this. Nobody will ever believe this. But it never entered my mind to ever doubt that we would win. He said, I've played something like that over a hundred times as a coach so that when that shot went through the basket and we won the game, it is as though it had happened hundreds of times before. The evidence and the salute of victory are stamped on this day indelibly. And what you and I have come to do this morning is to recall the peril through which we've already come. And when we recall the fact, the the mountain waves through which this ship has passed, and we remember all that has been overcome, it causes us to feel encouraged Let the tempest rage, let it roar, we shall triumph. As a matter of fact, you can relax. For what victorious living is, is this. It is relaxing in the luxury of Calvary. It's just living off the living Jesus, like you live off a rich uncle. The victorious Christian life is just relaxing in the luxury of what God accomplished at Golgotha and the garden tomb. 
Now the Apostle Paul capsulizes that in two profound statements I want to make to you today. The first is this, that the devil has legal claim on your life. On everyone outside of Jesus, the devil has legal claim. And this is the way he described it. He said there was a time when there was a handwriting of ordinances, a certificate of debt, an indictment against you. And he draws from the Roman court system, the Roman legal system. And the Roman legal system was arranged like this. If I had a charge against you, a, 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 a complaint against you, I would, I would level that complaint, that charge. I would make a formal charge, an accusation. And the judge would call me into court and he would listen to my accusation against you. And if he determined in his mind that there was enough evidence to bring indictment against you, he would write out a certificate of debt, an indictment, a certificate of ordinance, and he would put it on the table. Then he'd call you into court. Because in the legal system of the Roman Empire, it was such that the accused could listen in the presence, be in the presence of the accuser. So they would, he would bring you in and the charge would be brought against you that was listed on the indictment on the table. Now the Apostle Paul said, using that analogy, brings us into court and God is the judge and Satan is the accuser and he accuses you of everything you've ever done wrong. He knows even the attitude you have toward life and the indictment is on the table. And God looks at you and says, what is your response to that indictment? I have to confess it's true. Thou shalt have no other God before me. I've broken that first commandment. I have to confess that everything written on the indictment is true. Not only do we have a charge against us, but the scripture says that it is hostile to us, which means that we're guilty as charged. The mind is already made up. You're guilty as charged. There is a handwriting of ordinance against you. And because of that handwriting of ordinances against you, a certificate of debt, that means the devil has legal claim over you. For Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 6, that you are slaves to whom you choose to obey. Now there are three things I need to say quickly. There are two opposing forces in this world that seek to lay claim to your life, seek to control you. Second, you're under the control of one of, of those two forces that seek to control you. Third principle, no one can be under the control of both forces at the same time. Which means there are only two kingdoms in this world. The kingdom of our God and of His Christ and the kingdom of the devil. There are only two fathers in this world. The Father who gave you creation and life and the Father of lies. And the scripture says that when you sin, that handwriting of ordinances is against you and He lays claim to your life. I think if you and I, if the unregenerated man understood his relationship to the devil, it would scare him to death. 
Jesus said, you're of your father the devil and his will you will do. I wonder when we'll stop trying to get the unregenerate person to do good. It's against his nature to do good. We want him to be honest. It's his nature to be dishonest. We want him to be right. It's his nature to be wrong. We want him to be godly. It's his nature to be ungodly. For John says in his in the fifth chapter of his epistle, that we lie in the wicked one. And that word, that phrase means a fixed and, and permanent relationship. Fixed and abiding relationship. That is as one lying in the lap of his mother, mesmerized and, and put to sleep by his mother. Now what I'm trying to say is this that the devil lays legal claims, legal claim to your life and controls you outside of Jesus Christ because of the certificate of debt against you. Second great truth. Jesus cancels the certificate of debt against you. Now before God can save us, Jesus had to enter into conflict with Satan. Let me say parenthetically, I think sometimes we have the idea that a way a person, the way a person is saved is that he comes to church and he listens to the pastor talk and preach and he hears this wonderful message about Jesus and he believes in his mind, you know, Jesus was a wonderful person and that teaching he taught was a wonderful teaching and so he goes down to the front and he takes the preacher by the hand and says, I accept that way of life as my way of life. I accept that teaching for me. It involves much more than that. Before God can save you, Jesus had to enter into conflict with Satan. There was a war that began. And that war began the moment he was born. And Herod tried to kill him. And the war raged out in the wilderness as Jesus was tempted by Satan 40 days and 40 nights. And the war reached its apex at Calvary when Jesus was hung on a cross. And the war was over when he shouted, It is finished! And when God raised him from the dead... By raising him from the dead, God announced that Jesus had won. Now the question is, how did Jesus counsel out the debt against me? By two means. Number one, he counseled, he annihilated the debt against me and against you by dying for the accused. Now when charge was brought against someone and he was to be punished for that charge, it was required by Roman law that they put the charge above his head. Now the Romans executed, administered capital punishment by crucifixion, the most terrible form of death. And so they'd take, when they crucified someone, they'd put this charge against them and they'd nail it to the top of the cross. That's why they put above the head of Jesus. He's the king of the Jews. That was the only charge they could bring against him. It was the charge of treason. For in the Roman Empire, Caesar was the king of the Jews. And so he was guilty of high treason, punishable by death. And so they put above his head, king of the Jews, his charge. 
his certificate of, indi of indictment. If they put someone in prison, they'd put the indictment on the prison cell. So you walk by the prison cell, it'd be like going to a zoo. You could look there and see, you see the animals, you know, and their, and their, their pedigree, etc. You walk by the cell, you'd see the charge against the person in the cell. Now go back to the courtroom scene with me, please. The devil is there to accuse us. And he levels the charge against you and against me. And we're guilty as charged. And the handwriting of ordinances is on the table. And in walks Jesus. Everything gets quiet. When he speaks the sound of his voice, the birds hush their singing. And he walks over to that table where the certificate of indictment is, is, is lying. And he picks it up. And I watch him as he walks outside and he takes a cross and puts it on his back with this certificate of indictment in his hands. And he stumbles up a way called Calvary. When he gets to the top of that little hill, they place him on that cross and nail, nails in his hands. And before they lift the cross and drop it in its sockets, they take the certificate of indictment and nail it to the cross, my debt is nailed there. He's dying for me. So the devil says, well, what about this sin? And points out a sin in my life. God says, go outside the city of Jerusalem to Calvary. Look upon that cross. You'll find that sin there. It might be listed as 5,633, but it's there. What about this sin? Every one of my sin that I have committed and will commit on that certificate of indictment, He died for me and my sin. It's nailed to that cross. And not only does it say that he canceled out that debt, but the scripture says that he blots it out in the King James. That's significant. For in that day they didn't have writing material like we have. They would use animal skins or a very expensive material called papyra. And because they had to use them over and over again, they... The, the ink didn't have acid in it, so it wouldn't cut into the material. It would just kind of lie on the papyra, on the skin, and dry. See? But it didn't cut into the material. I sometimes take a pencil and write in my New Testament. I, I can get an eraser and I erase that writing out. I can get it all out, except there's a little indenture there where I wrote. You see these whodunit mysteries, and these guys will come in, they get a pencil, and they'll scratch across that. You can see the indention. Sometimes I write in it, like here, with my ballpoint pen. I can take an eraser, and I can erase that off, but there is an indenture there. I could write with ink, and, my every, and, and ink today has acid, so it bites into the paper. You can erase it, but the indenture is there. Not in those days. They'd take a wet sponge, and because there was no acid in the ink, they'd just wipe that paper, that papyrus, that skin clean. They'd wipe it all off, and there wouldn't even be a mark left. See, what Paul is saying is this. 
Not only did Jesus take my debt and put it on the cross and die for it, He took His own blood and erased every trace of it. Hallelujah. He died for the accused. Not only did He accomplish this cancellation by dying for the accused, He disarmed the accuser. I love verse 15. He says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display of them. Now that word disarm there means to strip, literally to strip. It's actually the idea of skinning an animal, taking its skin off. So that when the winning general went out and he conquered the general of the opposing army, he stripped him. He literally stripped him. He stripped off his clothes. He stripped off his armor. He took away his sword. Then he put a chain around his neck and he tied him to the chariot wheel, which the general rode, the winning, conquering general. He tied him to the, to the chariot wheel and they sent on a, a messenger, a herald, to the, to, the, to the city of the conquering hero to announce the victory. We get our word preaching from that. That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm just, I'm just sent on ahead to announce the victory. And this herald went in the town to announce the king is coming in victory and triumph. And a little bit later, they'd see this dust begin to rise on the horizon. And all of a sudden, they'd see the king coming the conquering hero riding in his chariot, chained behind him were the armies and the general stripped. And the people made sport of him. They mocked him. He, made, he was made public spectacle. They ridiculed him and mocked him and laughed and jeered at him. Now watch what Paul is saying. He said, after Jesus went into the grave, carrying my sin with Him, dying on the cross for my sin, after He canceled out the debt, He made public spectacle of the devil. You know how He did that? You know what the public spectacle that, of, of Satan is? The empty tomb. The empty tomb. So that thousands of people come today and they look into the empty tomb and they laugh and they celebrate and they jeer and they mock the devil. He's been stripped. Now I can just imagine what old Satan did when Jesus was hung on the cross. I can hear him saying to his heinous servants, Colleagues, ah, we got him where we want him now. We'll put him in this tomb and we'll seal it and the victory is ours. About 30 minutes before the third day was complete, Satan must have said to the demonic world, okay boys, all of us now get together. Okay boys, put your shoulders behind this stone. We hold him in there 30 more minutes and the victory is ours. Just hold him in there 30 more minutes and we win the battle. And Pilate and all his soldiers and all the demons of hell had put their shoulders against that stone to hold him in. I love the words of the hymn, but death 
could not keep his prey. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. And he came out of the bowels of the earth. And the scripture says that he had the keys of hell and judgment on his girdle. And won. While back, I did what everybody has to do. I went and bought some money. This is a familiar thing, I'm sure. This is a note. I won't tell you how much. <laughs> how much? A bunch. One day this note came due, and I went in. I don't want you can read this word right there. It says, renewed. Now what that means is that when the debt, when the note came due, I went to pay it, didn't have the money. So they renewed it. Y'all ever, y'all, that sound like anybody you know? One day, rich aunt died, true story. I got this call and they said, Gerald, we've been trying to locate you for a long time. Your rich aunt died and left you some money. Oh, I said. <laughs> how, how great. So I went in and I took that money and I went in and I paid the note. Now this is the, this is it. This is the certificate. I don't know whether you can read this or not, but what that says right there is paid. Now Jesus took the certificate of indictment against you on which is the record of every sin you will commit and have committed. And he went up there to the cross and they nailed it there. And when the third day came, God raised him from the dead. And when he did, he went over to that certificate and stamped, paid in full. Paid in full. I was watching CNN the other day and I was really eating my lunch, which is more important to me than CNN. But I heard this, I heard this statement. I heard it, somebody said, uh, anthropologists have found a window into the origin of man's existence and behavior. So I thought, well, hey, I need to figure out, I need to find out the origin of my existence and the reason I act like I do. No, so I could tell my wife why. <laughs> and what it was about was, it was this woman had gone over, and, and, and the guy said, the, the announcer said, that, you know, that, that we know that we came from baboons. And so these, this lady, true story, went over to Africa and for 20 years had studied these baboons, showed her there. And she was sitting there with a, this is not gorillas in the mist. He showed her there, sitting there with a little piece of paper, and she was looking at these baboons. Now, I can't think of anything more exciting to spend 20 years sitting around in a desert watching baboons. She's writing down, and this baboon would go over and hold and hug his baby. You know, she'd write that down. She, she wanted us to know where we came from and why we acted like we act and where we're going. I got a better answer than that. You don't have to spend 20 years looking at baboons to know where you came from, where you're going. For the scripture says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, 
But when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You spend five minutes before an empty tomb, you will find out where you came from, why you act like you do, where you're going. For now is Christ raised from the dead to be the first fruits of them that sleep. For by man came death, so also by man came resurrection from the dead. For as by Adam all men die, but as Christ are all men laid alive, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and after that all that are Christ at his coming. And this is the end when he shall have presented kingdoms, the kingdoms to God and Father, and has abolished all rule and authority and powers. For he shall reign until all enemies are placed under his feet, and the last enemy to be abolished is death. And so this preacher, Portland, Oregon, left his doctor's office, was told that he was dying of cancer and would not live long. He said, I went out 20 miles from, where I, from, my, from town where I live and I gazed into the river that I cherish. And I looked around me at the snow-capped mountains. And at night I went out as God began to light the lamps in the heavens and I said, O mountains, I may not see you many times again, but I'll be alive when you crumble to dust. Oh, river, I'll be alive when you cease flowing to the sea. Oh, stars, I'll be alive when you fall out of the sockets in the great downpour of the universe. For he has conquered man's last enemy, which is death. If you're lost this morning, it is because you have chosen to be lost. You have chosen that master. If you're saved, it's because you have chosen to be saved. I want you to get up out of your seat. I know it's crowded here. And I know how difficult this is, but I also know how difficult it was for our Lord to do what He did. If you're here without Christ this morning, outside of God, outside of Christ, I invite you to get up out of your seat and choose to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. I'm not asking you about baptism or confirmation or anything like that. I'm asking you, have you come to know in a personal way the living Lord Jesus Christ? I want to ask you to get up out of your seat in a moment. Come and join this church. Today is the day that we celebrate victory. It's time to begin to live like winners. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that the debt's been canceled. The enemy's been disarmed. 
and the victories within our reach of faith. I pray today that we'll go away not as sad, but as celebrants. And that each of us can claim for himself by identification with Christ crucified and raised eternal life. For I pray in his name. Now there are three invitations. An invitation for you to come and be saved today. An invitation for you to come and join our church. To walk more closely with the Lord in the rededication of your life. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.